So, today is called Israel, the Church, and me, or and you, or something like that. So, we're going to go through, um, you know, what it, what it means, what is Israel, what, what is Israel, the significance of Israel these days, what's the church, what's the significance of the church, how do they integrate together, and where do we fit into this whole crazy prophetic puzzle. Um, there's specific things in this whole story that's, that's really on my heart to share, and I do pray that Adonai uh, brings forth uh, these, these things uh, that are on my heart to share. But I will start this way. Uh, as we always do, in the beginning, you know, God created heaven and earth. So that circle that I just uh, drew is earth. All right? Now, God doesn't just create nature just for this, because he likes flowers and trees, although he does, uh, the purpose, and Adonai's purpose and plan for this crazy little thing called earth is for him to bring his fullness into it, to bring his glory into it. The, the whole earth is his, and, and the fullness thereof. And um, his ultimate plan is for himself to fill this thing. Right? So that is ultimately his, his plan. He creates earth differently than all the other planets out there. He's going to manifest himself and he's going to fill this, this planet, this whole earth, with his glory. Now, how is he going to do this? Like, what is his strategy to do this? That's quite a big task to do. So, how is Adonai going to fulfill this? There might be many ways of accomplishing this task, but Adonai has a certain way of doing it. Now, when I speak to my atheist friends... When I speak to my uh, atheist family, very often they'll say, maybe you've received similar types of questions, like, if God is real, why doesn't he just, like, shout it from the mountaintops? You know, like, why doesn't he just, like, open up heaven and just go, hello, everybody, I'm God, Jesus is real, I'm him, you gotta believe in me, and you better do it, or else you're going to hell. Like, why doesn't he do that? Um, my answer to that is that he already did. <laughs> and it didn't work out so well. He did that at Sinai. And uh, if we know the story of Sinai, he was going to come down on the mountain. And he told Moses in advance that he's going to come down on the mountain and he's going to make himself known on the mountain. And all the people had to get ready. They had to wash and, and prepare themselves and be clean and don't touch the mountain because God in his holiness is going to come down on the mountain and here came that day, and here he comes. Boom! Steps on the mountain and starts to speak to the people. And he starts to speak manifestations of who he is and what his holiness is and what he's all about. And he starts to speak from the Ten Commandments from the mountain. I am God. There should be no other gods before me. All the, Don't make any idols. And he's speaking all these things. And the people were frightened to death. I mean, literally, like, just knees buckling, like, they just couldn't contain it. It was the, the, the intenseness, the holiness, the loudness, they couldn't contain it. So, so they had this, this better idea. It's like, Moses, you go and speak to God, and you come down and we'll speak to you, and we'll get to know God through you. And then God says, that's a really good idea. As a matter of fact, I will raise up a prophet after you. And I will put my words into his mouth, and the people will listen to him. And when they listen to this prophet, they will be listening to me. 
So he sets the pattern, that wasn't the first time, but there's a pattern set that God is not going to manifest himself, he's not going to speak to this earth in a, in a forceful, push-down way from heaven, saying, I'm God, you got to believe. That's not ultimately how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through the vessels who are his prophets, who is everyone sitting here. We spoke When we spoke about the, the holidays, the festivals, that the festival of Shavuot is the fulfillment of that time. So when the, the Holy Spirit came on the believers in Pentecost, that was the exact same day that God said, I will raise up a prophet, and I'll put my words into the prophet's mouth, and the prophet will go, and they will hear me when they hear the prophet. It was that exact same day that the Holy Spirit came down on the believers. Fulfilling that, that you and me and everyone here, the body of Messiah, is the, is, are the prophet, is God's prophet. So he sets the stage that this thing himself is going to go around the earth through the people. So his glory will fill this thing, not through force, not through a, a loud shout from heaven saying, believe in me or else, but through him being in the people and then the people manifesting God. And that is the strategy, the divine strategy for the glory of the Lord filling the earth. Amen? Amen. So, how does he do? So he creates Adam and Eve and all these things happen. And he, you know, and it, revelation is progressive. So he had this plan from the beginning, but the mechanism of fulfilling this plan is yet to be revealed to the world. So all of a sudden, in the fullness of time, in this thing called earth, out comes Abraham. And God makes a promise to this one, Abraham, and to his descendants, Isaac and to Jacob, and says, okay, my strategy for getting myself throughout this world is going to be through the people, and it's starting with you. Okay? All nations will be blessed by you, is what he says to Abraham. So his strategy is starting to come, is starting to manifest. And it starts with the one, Abraham. Okay? And, but it still could not be fully, it could not be fully realized by Abraham. He did not have the ability to propagate the world by himself. Like, can you imagine if, if Abraham tried to do this in his own strength? It's like, okay, all the nations are going to be blessed by me. Like, okay, how do I accomplish this? Do I just have a lot of children? You know, do I, you know, go out on the street with, 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 with tracks and, and hand it out to everybody and say, believe in God, believe in God, believe in God. How do I do this? Like, the calling is for me, you know, to, 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 that all nations can be blessed by me. Uh, how do I do this? How do I do this? It was not his to accomplish. The promise came to him, but the fulfillment would be later. And, and I believe that is so, so true in so many cases with all of us. Because God is so multi-generational, you know? I, I, I so believe that God, will be, God tells promises to each of us. And it's like, this is the promise to you. And you're like, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? And it will be fulfilled in like a future generation. Because he just sees all just as one. So these things will be filled. I, I also believe that things will be fulfilled in you that God told your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents that he's going to do this thing and it's being fulfilled in you and your parents, great-grandparents, grandparents are in the cloud of witnesses screaming 
and shouting and saying, yes, I'm seeing the fulfillment of the promise that came to me and I'm seeing it manifested through my offspring and I'm rejoicing. I strongly believe that, that our ancestors are jumping and shouting, seeing the fulfillment of promises made to them. And even when they were here, they're like, okay, I kind of sense this may be what you're doing and it's being fulfilled in you and they're rejoicing in the cloud of witnesses. It's crazy, but, but I, I do believe that. Um, so, the promise comes to Abraham, but the ability to fulfill this thing cannot be done, right? But you have a person. Okay, so God, the plan started. It's the start of the thing. A couple of generations down, welcome Moses, children of Israel. They're in Egypt. They come out of Egypt, right? So now they're by Sinai. We just spoke about what happened at Sinai. So God brings down now his, his law. Now you have a group of people. You have the descendants of Abraham, right? And so there's more people, more descendants of Abraham, and God brings his law, which is essentially his holiness. Because people in all the nations, they're doing pretty much whatever they want. Right? At that time, I don't know, you got the, got the ancient Mayans and ancient Mexico, you know, sacrificing children and pulling out their hearts or whatever. And you got, you know, um, cannibals in ancient South America or whatever. Yeah, everyone's doing their own thing. Right? So here's God who tells these people, the descendants of Abraham, this is my holiness. This is, this, I'm God. And this is, this is righteousness according to me. The creator, right? Other nations doing other things, even the nations around, the Canaanites, whatever, they're doing their thing. I'm telling you what righteousness is. So the puzzle pieces are now coming together. His plan is still to populate the earth with his glory through his people. But the ingredients to do that are manifesting. They're coming, they're progressively coming forth. So now you have, you started with one person, now you have a group of people with God's law, which is God's holiness, right? His, his, what, what holiness, righteous living is according to God, according to the creator of earth himself, okay? But still, with this group of people, along with the holiness, the, the rules for, regulations for holiness, they still did not have the mechanism for propagating this thing outward, okay? It's still progressing, in comes, you know, the, the move, the, 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 the Jericho wall going down, they come into the land, in comes Saul, King David, now you have a nation, right? So now you have a nation of people, so what started as just a single individual, and the progression started, now you have God's holiness, which is a critical ingredient, and now you have a nation, Okay, not just one person, but a nation of people with a charge that God's holiness, that himself is going to manifest through this nation. Okay? And they screwed up in so many ways. I mean, the kingdom got divided, they sinned, but the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And that reality was true even for Abraham. I mean, he could have just he screwed up, he shacked up with this person, this 
you know, they were not perfect, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, the, but he made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob that it's through their descendants that this thing is going to happen. That God is going to be known throughout all the earth through them. And that calling, nothing can change that, no matter how bad they messed up. Once, when the time of Moses was there with the, with the commandments and the people in the wilderness, they screwed up a lot. You know, there was a time that they built the golden calf, and then God said, I'm just wiping them all out. I'm wiping them all out. I'm starting from scratch. And I'm starting with you, Moses, and they're not going to be the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob anymore. They're going to be the people of Moses. And you'll be, that, you'll be the new point person, and it'll go from you. And then Moses said, Adonai, write me out. If they're not going, then I don't want to go. If, if you're not going to include them, then don't include me. I'm willing to give it up if they're not included. Right? And then God pretty much said to Moses, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, you just calm down there, Moses. Right? You just, okay, I get it. Just, just, you better take a chill pill. Go in the corner, Moses. And relax. Yet, through what you're saying, I recognize the spirit of my son in you, who's willing to give himself up to save the others. Okay? Nonetheless, no matter how they screwed up, the golden calf, all these things, and, and Adonai saying, you're going to die in the wilderness and your descendants are the one that's going to go in, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. So now we have a nation of people with the laws, and they're getting there. Okay, so now you got, he wants to go across around the world with his holiness and with his glory with himself. Now he's got a nation. Baruch Hashem. He's getting there. It's progressing. Okay? Right? And they screw up a lot. The kingdom is divided. You got good kings. You got bad kings. They bring in the Asherah poles. They, they worship Baal. Then they get all tear down. And then they worship God again. You know, and... and what was one kingdom, like I said, is two. Now you have Israel up there, and you got Judah down here. And, and all these things are happening. But from God's perspective, none of it ultimately matters for his calling because he is going to fulfill this thing. That this nation that came from this people are going to fill the earth with his glory because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. But they were still missing a key ingredient. In comes Messiah, who in Hebrew is Mashiach. And the Hebrew word Mashiach simply means anointing. So in comes the anointing of God through Mashiach. The final ingredient needed. Because we got the people, we got the laws. But the laws are not enough. God is not looking to create a, 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 a people that just know laws and can be obedient to laws. The, the, the ingredient, the missing ingredient, the final ingredient is Mashiach himself. The anointing of God. And he comes to this people. Everything's going according to plan. So then the people of Israel, they do something kind of unique. They did not accept the anointing. They, in fact, rejected the anointing. In fact, they killed the anointing. But all things work out according to God's plan because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable and nothing can stop his promise that he has promised to one. If he said it, 
it's going to be fulfilled, no matter what. So, the children of Israel, for the most part, do not accept Messiah, and they hand him over to be sacrificed, to be executed. And then something miraculous happened, because even Messiah himself said, if a seed just remains a seed, and doesn't die, then all it will do is remain this thing. If this seed doesn't die, it will remain the one seed. So if that didn't die, and he was pronounced king over this nation, he would have been king over the nation. But that's it. But if it dies, it produces many. Much fruit. So when they handed him over to die, to be executed, it was all in line with God's plan. Because the anointing could not be contained just in one. The anointing is what he wants to propagate around the world. So his plan was for for the one, the Messiah, to die on behalf of the world so the anointing can go into everybody. Okay? His plan is going... Perfectly. It's progressing along and it's going perfectly. But the children of Israel, for the most part, in the nation that the promise was made to, nationally reject this anointing, reject the Messiah. In comes these other nations who hear the word of the one and hear about the one who died for them And receiving that seed into them brings them into this thing, into this family, into this kingdom of God. And they start accepting it. And they start coming in. So from God's perspective, what's happening is this. The nation started with the one, Abraham. And it blew up more and more to a nation of Israel. So as the people of the world start coming into this thing and accepting Messiah, accepting this anointing with all of himself into them, what's happening as other nations progress, this is what's happening. This nation of Israel is expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. Okay? To contain and to cover the entire world. Okay? The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, independent of our ability to do anything right. Okay? Independent of our ability to do anything right, His promise far exceeds our abilities. Because His promise is not, is not confined to our ability to do anything. If He makes a promise it will be fulfilled. However, what has happened is this. In this day and age, and for the past 2,000 years, what has happened is this. You have Israel, okay? And Israel, corporately, nationally, rejected the Messiahship of Yeshua. Okay? So let's say this circle here. Yeah, so here's Israel. Okay? What, What has happened over the past 2,000 years, is that the ones from the nations who've accepted Messiah, Jewish Messiah, into their hearts, 
Instead of feeling that they are a part of this thing and accepting that they are a part of this thing, a part of Israel, they have separated themselves and turned into something new. And, and this is from a human perspective. It is not from a divine perspective. From a divine perspective, when you accept Messiah, you're part of this. You are part of Israel. You're part of this thing. But what's happened over the past 2,000 years, just the, the way humans think and the way humans operate, not in an anonymized way, this thing that has been defined as the church is like a separate entity. And even if you look right now, it's almost like you have two religions. You have like the religion of Judaism, which is like modern-day Israel, and you have the religion of Christianity. And they're, they're separate entities. And for the most part, they don't want to mix with each other. Right. Even, I know even like my family and in Judaism, like, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. That's what they do. Right? And the Christians are like, well, we're saved and they're not saved. Right? So, but that is, that's what humans do. And that's the way, that's the way the body of Messiah has, has manifested and has looked for the past 2,000 years. From Adonai's perspective, that is not how it is. The people that accept Messiah that are not physically from this nation are part of this nation. Okay? It is not the church propagating like that and Israel some separate thing. And then it is, in order for Israel to become part of it, they have to come into this thing. That is the normal way of thinking now in the body of Messiah. It's flawed. Okay? Adonai's plan was for the nations to come into this thing of Israel. As it says, the law will go forth from Zion, right? It all starts here and it's going to propagate outward. It's not the start of a new thing. When this Pentecost experience happens, it's the birth of the church. It's not the birth of the church. It's the Ruach, the Holy Spirit coming into, it's the fulfillment of, of, of this plan that God created where his glory is going to be manifest and his anointing and his spirit needs to be in the people in order to do it. But it's all within the realm of God's original promise to Abraham. Okay? So the, so the church considers itself, for the most part, a separate entity from Israel. I believe in these times, probably, and I think definitely, the first time since the first century. Since the first century, or maybe the second century, the Christian people, people that accepted Messiah, are recognizing that they're actually part of this thing. They're actually part of Israel. That they're not some separate religion. That, they're, that they're, they're, their root is here, that they're a part of Israel. They're not just a separate thing. And it's the first time that this is happening since the, since the, uh, first, since the first century. Right? There have been times that there's been bodies within the church that are like, hey, you know, there might be something to the laws. So we're going to keep the Sabbath or something like that. So we're going to call ourselves Seventh-day Baptists or Seventh-day Adventists. You know, Baruch Hashem. Or, you know, we're going to keep some of these laws. We're going to keep some of the holidays or we're going to stay away from pork or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, most of the, of the feelings within this church is that they're separated from the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or that they are the fulfillment of this thing, and because of their rejection of Messiah, they are now the new fulfillment. Right? 
is called replacement theology. It's flawed. Replacement theology is that, this, that, that Messiah came to the Jewish people, the Jewish people rejected him, the nations accepted him, and out from that came the church. And then again, for the, for the Jewish people, for Israel to become part of this thing, they have to come into that. When the Bible clearly says that it's the nations that are, quote-unquote, grafted in to this thing. Okay? Any questions or comments or anything? Um, there is... It is. It is a lie. It is a lie. But I'm also... I, I am passionate that Adonai knows exactly what he's doing. That Adonai knows precisely what he's doing. And yes, it is, it is, it is a lie. It is, it is not true. But Adonai knows what he's doing. right? And he's going to make this whole thing work out. In fact, it's prophetic. There's a, there's a scripture verse in Isaiah 49 that uh, really speaks to me. And I'll read it here. I have it printed out. Um... Isaiah 49, 18 through 23. I'll read it, and if it's confusing, I'll paraphrase. Uh, Lift up your eyes and look around. Okay, so this is God talking to Israel. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put all of them on as jewels and bind them on as a bride. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants. Okay, he's talking to Israel, saying that you're desolate, but now you will be too cramped for all, for all these inhabitants that you have. And those who swallowed you will be far away. So your enemies will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Okay, hang in there with me. Make room for me that I may live here. This is what the children, their children are going to say. Make, this place is cramped now. I, you were empty and desolate, but now you're, you're too cramped. Make room for me. Then you, Israel, will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me? Since I, I've been bereaved of my children, I'm barren, an exile, I'm, I'm a wanderer. Who reared these? I was left alone. Where did they come from? Okay, There is a prophecy in the scripture that I just read, and it keeps going. Thus says the Lord, I will lift up my hand to the nations, set up my standard to the people. They will bring your sons in their bosom. Their, your daughters will be carried on their, on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians and princes your nurses. So here's, here's the picture that God is, is painting in this, in, this, in this verse from Isaiah. Israel is barren. It's a waste place, it's, it's desolate, they're alone, they feel alone among the world, and they're, and they're barren, they feel childless, right? It's, a, it's just a, a, a poor picture of, of Israel. In comes the nations, carrying children on their shoulders. This is the picture that's being presented. Carrying them in their bosom, car- kings, kings, carrying them on their shoulders. And Israel saying, who are they? And then the nation's going, this king's saying, these are your children. And Israel's going, where did they come from? Where did I get all these children from? 
Okay? That is a prophecy given to Isaiah, given to Israel. So the day is coming when the church, which considers itself for the most part separate from Israel, will be marching into Israel with its children on its shoulders and saying, I belong to you. These children are yours. Okay? Um, Okay, something that came to me about the church. The um, Greek word for church is, I think a lot of people know it, is ecclesia, right? Ecclesia. Ecclesia, it's called Ecclesia because when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, the Hebrew word kahal, um, I guess K-A-H-A-L, or kaf he okay? Kahal was translated, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, it was translated as Ecclesia. So it now is translated into church. But ultimately, that word has its root in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, as follows. And these are just some of many. This is just a small smatter. Exodus 12, 6. And you shall keep it, this is Passover, and you shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month, and the whole... Kahal, church of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And there's so many, I, I, pick, I could shut my eyes and just pick some at random. Numbers 15, 15. One ordinance shall be both of the congregation, which is Kahal, which was translated to Ecclesia, which is church, and also for the stranger. That journeth with you, sojourneth with you. First Kings eight twenty two, and this will be the last one I'll read. And this is when Solomon dedicated the temple. What was the numbers? Numbers fifteen fifteen. First Kings eight twenty two, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. In the presence of the kahal of Israel and spread forth his hand towards heaven. And we know the story when he dedicated the temple, how he raised his hand towards heaven and how he prayed for the temple and he prayed for the people. It says in that time he did it in the presence of the whole congregation of Israel. That is the same word that is ultimately translated as church. Okay? In conclusion... Church, it's called church because its, it's Greek word is ecclesia, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, kahal, which is in the Old Testament all over the place. That's right. About Israel. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's the lineage from kahal to church is not that hard to find. Okay? So ultimately that is the church. So we call, we're the church, we're the church. Ultimately that word means the congregation of Israel. It's what it means. <laughs> I've been waiting for that answer for a while. I was like, what the heck does a church mean? So the church, the church is Israel. 
It's not a separate thing. I mean, these days we're starting to see fruits. We're starting to see some churches and, and, and Christian leaders, and we're seeing just gent- believers in Messiah from the nations that, are, that, are, that want to understand more of the, the Hebrew roots of their faith. I mean, we're all here, right? We're all part of this messianic congregation. This, what we're dealing with here in this time is, is, a, is an end times fulfillment of this thing. This is not just some congregation where there was a rabbi here that jumped around a lot and we really loved them, right? And we still love them, okay? And that's really cool. And okay, they, they do this uh, thing on Saturday. I guess I could deal with that. I guess I'll I have my Sundays off, okay? This is, this is a prophetic thing. It's a prophetic thing that the children of Israel are believing in the Messiah and people from the nations are like, this, this is me. My, this Israel is a part of me. It's not just them, but it's a part of me. And, and I'm going to go there and I'm going to integrate myself in that because it's a part of me and it is me and I am it. it is, it's a prophetic thing that's happening specifically in this day. In fact, this, this rise of this thing called that's been termed Messianic Judaism actually came along at the same time that that uh, Israel became a nation again and then recaptured Jerusalem. So as physical Israel started to become a reality in, in, this, in the last century, this Messianic Judaism started to rise up and Jewish people all over the place were starting to recognize the Messiah and people from the nations are starting to recognize that they're part of Israel. They're not, it's not just something and they don't need to come to me to be saved. I need to bring it to them and go into them and I'm one with them. Okay? So Israel, the church, and you. That's what this is talking about. Um, love for Israel um, is not just about loving the modern-day nation of Israel. And we tend to, we, we lose sight of the, the prophetic and we lose sight of the spiritual reality of the grafting in of the nations into Israel when we, when we think of the, the, the short-sighted view that that just means the little nation there in the Middle East. Right? Because the nation in the Middle East, they can do things that are lovable, and they can do things that are not so lovable. Okay? Ultimately, right now, it is a, it's a government. They can do some good things. You can be supportive of this. You can be not supportive of that. They build a settlement. You like that. They build another settlement. You don't like that. Uh, the good cop comes in. Bad cop comes in. You like Netanyahu. You don't. You'd rather have this person. It's, be, it's, it's above all that. It's above the, the governmental, political landscape. Right? It's above all that. Because you're a part of that. Right? It's, you're a part, it's not just, oh, I'm going to bless them or I'm going to give them money. That's a good seed. It's a good first fruits of this. That there are you know, Christians that, are, that they want to bless Israel and things like that. But ultimately, the church is a part of this thing. And the day is coming when the church will, will march with children on their shoulders into Israel. And Israel will say, where did these people come from? And they say, I am, these are your children. We are family. I got all my sisters in me. Um, there was a dynamic that goes back to the time of Paul, where um, there was a bit of boasting happening amongst the nations and the people groups that were accepting the Messiah against the children of Israel. It goes back all the way back then. We're like, okay, that's them. And they messed up. And now we're the people of God. Right? So the the scripture to look at when it comes to that 
And to hear clearly Paul's reprimand on that is Romans 11. Right? So that is, that's the scripture verse that is dedicated to the relationship between uh, Gentile believers, people from the nations, and, um, and their views of Israel, who for the most part have rejected the Messiah at that point in time. Uh, and we're going to go through it. I'm going to read it. And um, I'm going to stop at certain areas, and I'm going to present certain things that perhaps you haven't uh, recognized before, which speak about your unity and, with Israel. Um, okay, so Romans 11. I'm just going to read the whole thing. So this is um, Paul talking to the Romans. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. So right then and there, right from the beginning of that chapter, this whole theology that Israel rejected the Messiah, so God is done with them and started the new thing, is completely taken care of. Okay? Has God rejected his people? No. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite, a seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So has God rejected his people? What Paul is saying is, hello? Where did I come from? Hello? If God rejected his people, why am I here writing to you right now? That's essentially what he's saying. If God rejected his people, then he must have rejected me because I'm an Israelite. I didn't come out of Israel into you. I'm an Israelite. Okay? Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people who he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what he's saying here is this. Israel didn't totally reject God. They didn't totally reject the Messiah. Some did. But there's a group, there's a remnant that accepted him. Okay? So you can't just say that God accepted, that the Jews didn't accept Messiah or Israel didn't accept Messiah. That in and of itself is a false statement. There's always a remnant. Okay? So that statement in general that, that they rejected it and we accepted it is false. And he takes care of that right there. There's always a remnant that, that has accepted Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant, according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it's no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In other words, he's saying it's by God's choice. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So some of Israel were blinded, and some have accepted just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and bow down their backs always. So, I say, so, so here's what David says, um, a stumbling block, their stumbling block. But, verse 11, have they stumbled so that they should fall? Certainly not. Through their fall, 
to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So to provoke them to jealousy. I'm going to go back a little bit to the Torah. And in Deuteronomy 32, 21. This is now God talking in the Torah, Deuteronomy 32, 21. They have made me, this is God talking about Israel. They have made me jealous with what is not God, and they provoke me to anger with their idols. So, I will make them, meaning Israel, jealous with those who are not a people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So God is saying, they've made me jealous. So God is a jealous God. He says, my name is Jealous. He's jealous, right? He's jealous. He's jealous when we go after other gods and we put other things above him. He's jealous God. His name is Jealous, he says. And he says, Israel has made me jealous for they were going after other gods. So I am going to make them jealous by blessing another nation, by blessing another people group. Make sense? They made me jealous. I'm going to make them jealous. So here's Paul saying in Romans 11, in verse 11, through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles, to the nations. And by the way, the Hebrew word for Gentiles is the same word as nations. Do we know that? That the word nation means Gentile. That's just what it means. They're synonymous. So here we have a calling of the people of God from the nations to make the Israel jealous. Right? And it's not something that we can do. It's not something that we can do in the natural. We can do that no more in the natural than Abraham could have populated the world by himself. It's a divine thing. And it has not yet happened. It's, it's still to be fulfilled. Because Israel is not looking at the church right now. And in, 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 they're not jealous. They're not saying, look at, how, look at what God has done. Okay? I don't know. Maybe in times of the future, maybe when the tribulation comes, maybe God will protect his people, and, 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 and maybe they'll be jealous of that way. I don't know how this is going to be fulfilled. But it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And there's not a single people group, there's not a single religion that can claim fulfillment of that verse in Torah. When God said to the children of Israel, because you've made me jealous of other idols, I'm going to make you jealous with other nations or other people. And here it is, right here in the New Testament, a, a calling to the church that their calling is to make Israel jealous. In direct fulfillment of Torah. Okay? No other religion can, can claim ownership of the fulfillment of that prophecy. But Christ, Christians can. Okay? So, that was verse 11. Verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentile, how much for their fullness? Okay, I speak to you Gentiles as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them for if their being cast away is reconciling of the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead 
Okay? Yes. The ultimate promise of Scripture is the, is the resurrection of the dead, the return of the Messiah, how we're, we're going to be resurrected, right? And it is it's linking that event with the acceptance of the Jewish people, of, of Israel. So they did not stumble totally to fall. They are not fully rejected. And if their rejecting of Messiah means salvation of the world, which is a fulfillment of prophecy because they think Messiah had to die, right? He's the Passover lamb. He had to be slain when he did. And the one seed had to turn into the many. But if their rejection of him was salvation for the world, how much more their acceptance be? But life from the dead. So... When they, when, when Israel accepts the one, and that one comes in, and that is fulfilled, it will be life from the dead for the world. Okay? If the first fruit is holy, then the rest is holy. If the root is holy, and so are the branches. Okay? So there's this divine connection between all the people of Messiah, the people who accepted Messiah, and the, the root and the, 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 the first fruit of, of Israel. That when it's holy, the rest are holy. Okay? It's this divine connection between the root and the branches. If some of you, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. Right? So there's a reprimand for Paul. Don't boast against don't boast against the branches. You have the natural branches, and yes, they were ripped off, so you can be grafted in, but don't boast against them, is what he's saying. Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Okay? That means they don't need to come to you. You're not the root of this thing. They're the root of this thing, and they support you. Okay? Well, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. If God did not spare the natural branches, <coughs> he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted in, to their own olive tree. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this ministry. I believe those words go out unto this day. I don't want you to be ignorant of this ministry, of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. I want to stop right here and talk about this fullness of the Gentiles and where that came from because that also has a unique root in the Old Testament in the Torah and I'm going to talk about that a little bit um, I'll stop right here okay so 
we know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, the children of Israel. One of the children was Joseph. Joseph is a foreshadow of the Messiah because he's the brother, he's the Jewish brother. He told them he's going to be king over them. They cast him out. He went to a, 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 a non-Jewish or a Gentile land, became ruler over them. The, the children of Israel thought he was dead and took, taken care of, but really he became a ruler over this other land. And at the end of this whole thing, the children of Israel came to them. They had a reconciliation. Right? So we see that. We see the connections with Messiah. Um, so this is Genesis 48. 48.9? Okay. Yep. Thank you. And Israel saw, this verse 8, Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Right? So Joseph who is a foreshadow of Messiah. Remember, he's the brother who was, they killed, but he was, didn't really kill him. He became a ruler in another land. And then there was finally reconciliation between this one who was the deliverer. He's the one who delivered them from the famine and the children of Israel. And with, it was Israel. There was a reconciliation. All of a sudden, Joseph comes, who's a foreshadow of Messiah, represents Messiah, comes with these two, these two children, and brings them to Israel, Jacob, Israel. And Jacob goes, who are these? And Joseph says to his father, these are my sons who God had given me in this place, meaning when I was in Egypt, these are the sons given to me. And, and Jacob says, please bring them to me. I will now bless them. And there's another place here where Jacob says, they are now mine. Okay, so Joseph brings these children born to him in Egypt, in this other land, brings them to Israel. Jacob, whose name was Israel. Israel says, who are these, who are these children? Very similar to the Isaiah verse that we just read. Who are these children? Joseph says, they were, they're mine. These are my children. And they were born to me in this foreign land. And then Jacob says, they're now mine. Right? Hello, grafted in. Okay, But then something interesting happened, because we're going through Romans 11 here and the fullness of the Gentiles, and what does that actually mean? Um, yep. So, Jacob, it's time for Jacob to bless his children, and he chooses to bless the sons of Joseph, whose name was Ephraim and Manasseh. So verse 12, so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he took his hands and he did this. He made a, a cross, essentially, with his hands, okay? And he blessed the children under a cross. And I think that's significant. That these children that came from Egypt that are now part of Israel, Jacob said they're now mine, and the way he blessed them was we crossed his hands, okay? I think that's significant. 
Okay? I think that's sort of a foreshadow of who these children represent. Okay? Um, and it says... Let's see. Okay. So... Verse 19. So, so they argued. Joseph said, no, 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 Dad, you don't know what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. You've got to do it like this. I, I put him, I placed them perfectly, you know, so you can do this. And then Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. Right? I know what I'm doing. So verse 19. Um, he's speaking to Ephraim now. And he says, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and he shall also be great. This is Manasseh. But truly his younger brother... Ephraim shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall be a multitude of nations. Okay? So the blessing on this one called Ephraim, right, who's one of the children that was born in Egypt, that is now adopted by Israel, under a sign of a cross, okay, says he will be a multitude of nations. We already spoke that the Hebrew word for nations is goyim, okay? So goyim equals nations, and it also equals the Gentiles. Okay? It's the exact same word. Okay? Ephraim will be a multitude of nations. The Hebrew word for multitude is melo. Okay? So it's uh, mem... Lamed het, I believe, or it's M-E-L-O-H if you want to write it in English. Melo, okay? Um, that word, melo, so melo hagoyim is normally translated, your descendants will be a multitude of nations. But melo also means fullness. Okay? Psalm, 20, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Melo. The fullness. Okay? Isaiah 6, verse 3. Isaiah 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Melo. Okay? Same Hebrew word. So what's translated normally as your, your children will be a multitude of nations. It's the exact same Hebrew phrase as fullness of Gentiles. Identical. Okay? So when he's speaking this over this one child, Ephraim, and here's Paul saying, this is, you know, uh, they've been hardened partially until the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Okay? It's, it's a reference back to this one child that came out of Egypt that was Joseph's son, Ephraim. Okay? So spiritually... What's happening to Ephraim, what happened to Ephraim and Manasseh is what happens to the nations, right? You come in and Israel says, who are they? they are, these are the children, the Messiah saying, born to me in the nations, they are now mine, okay? There is a direct connection spiritually between the children born, Ephraim, the children born to Joseph, and you, or everybody that's from the nations, okay? There are groups within Messianic Judaism that take it hyper, hyper literally, okay? where they're like, okay, I am Ephraim. Like, I have the actual physical lineage of Ephraim, or I have the physical lineage of one of the tribes of Israel. Okay? I don't believe...
believe that's true, I, if it's true, you know, show me the money kind of thing. You know, like if you, if you have physical, if you're a physical descendant of one of these tribes, then Baruch Hashem, but if you're just going to say it because you feel it or you think it, I can't necessarily believe that. Okay, and there's a lot of groups that call themselves Ephraimites or uh, two-house people, meaning like they're from the tribe of Israel, and then they relegate the Jewish people just to the tribe of Judah. Okay, I, I appreciate that they consider them as part of Israel. That's good. Okay, but they're they're claiming they're claiming the physical descendancy, in my opinion, without proof. Okay, so that's not what I'm referring to here. There's a spiritually, there's a connection between these children of of Joseph that were adopted by Jacob. And, and you, and the nations, okay? And it's what, he, what his declaration over Ephraim is the exact same word that Paul's using where he says the fullness of the Gentiles, okay? Okay? I mean, there's other things in Scripture where, um, where I think spiritually there are connections. There's, if you look at the story of Noah, there were three sons of Noah, right? There was, remember their names? Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Okay? Shem is the uh, ancestor of Abraham. Right? That's where you get Semitic. Or Semites. Right? So he's the father of, of Israel. Okay? Ham is the father, it says specifically, of Canaan. Canaan. Which are the enemies of Israel. Enemies. But who is this Jepheth? Right? It says in Genesis 9.27, may God, may God enlarge Jepheth. How would you say that in English? How is normally said? Jepheth or Jepheth? Or? Jepheth sounds good. May God, may God enlarge Jepheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Okay. So I'm talking spiritually here. I'm not talking real physical descendancy. Spiritually, I believe there is a connection between a people group that, have, that, have, that dwell in the tents of Shem, which is who's the ancestor of Israel. And I believe that to be a foreshadow of, of, of the Christians when they come in to Israel. Okay? Okay. Um, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And so, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Okay? But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We use that verse rightly about God's promises to us or God's promises to others, you know, and it comes to us, you know, like, oh, God made a promise. Oh, well, you know, God's promises, he's going to fulfill his promises. Gifts and callings are irrevocable. In the letter of the scripture, he's talking about Israel, that his promise to these people, to this one little dot here of Abraham, who turned into a nation, he will fulfill that promise through them. Okay? And this one big circle here that's called the church, which now considers itself a, a part, a separate entity from Israel, one day will merge 
into it and take its place, not as a separate thing, but part of Israel. And the whole earth will be filled with his glory. The church is doing what it's supposed to do. It's manifesting Messiah throughout the earth. And then at the end of the fullness of time, this whole thing's going to come back to Israel. And it will be Israel fulfilling the promise. Okay? And, I, you know, I, I get upset sometimes when people get really upset with the church. It's an aftermath of people coming into, like, of, of Messianic Judaism or, or finding, you know, it's way it's like, hey, you know what? I'm part of Israel. Baruch Hashem. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just align myself with Jewish people. Baruch Hashem. I'm going to start keeping the Sabbath or whatever it is. Baruch Hashem. Sounds good. All of a sudden, sometimes it goes into, uh, why does the church have to do what it did? Or why is the church so pagan? You know, I get that a lot. Why, why do they have to keep Christmas? And, you know, I came out of Babylon when I left the church and came into Messianic Judaism. That is, that is a, a, an offensive spirit. When it's like, okay, they are pagans and I have to come out of them and they're just, they're all messed up and I have to come out of that. I mean, we all have our experiences and I'm sensitive to, you know, people, you know, they get hurt sometimes in religious environments, you know. But a, just a general feeling of like, the church is evil now. That, that happens sometimes. It's just part of this human condition, you know, where we all mess up, you know. It's actually a, a verse in here. Say again. I was just going to say, it's, it's just divisive. Yes. You know? It's just always dividing, and he wants to unify, so. Yes. I've taken part in feeling that way. I think some of us have. I have. When I first came in, I was, you know, you, you get these, these you, get, you get a certain revelation, and you're like, why doesn't everybody have this revelation? And then when you don't receive, then other people aren't receiving what you have to say, then you're resenting. You know, like, well, they just don't get it. You know, and you start to have anger and, and bitterness towards other groups. Okay? If, if, if you come in to Mishkan David, I'm telling you, like those pagans, those church pagans people, I'm telling you, in love, I'm going to put my foot somewhere. Okay? Okay? That's, that's, it's, it's something that Adonai wants to heal us from. Yeah. From all sides. Even from, from me with the, with the Jewish side, you know, and the rejection I've received from my family and things like that for, for accepting Messiah into my heart. You know, the, the, the peace of these things is, is, is for God to heal. And, and I really believe that God is, is looking to heal Christians from this dislike of the church, right? Even the Catholic church. And so many people like to come out and say, oh, I can really, I came out of so much paganism and things like that. You know, but, but the one who lives inside of you is so above these things. He just wants to bless and he wants to love. Okay? So these feelings, oh, I came out of Babylon. I, so I believe that comes from a, a, an offensive spirit. I know that because I know how I felt in times when I felt that. Okay? And it's an offense, it's, it's a spirit of offense. Okay? Not, not a, not a, it's not Yeshua saying, oh, those, those pagans, to keep away from that. Okay. Um, okay. So, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you, and this is my answer to that, to any feeling of like, are they doing it all wrong? And you know, why are they still, you know, keeping Easter when it's really a sheriff holes, you know, or something like that? Here's what here's what Paul says: For you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy. Through their disobedience, even so, these who have also now been disobedient, through mercy shown to you, they may also obtain mercy. For God 
has committed them, committed them all to disobedience so he might have mercy on all. Okay? You have people of the world. They were disobedient. They did their own thing. Okay, you had the cannibals of whatever, the, you know, the aboriginals or whatever it is in Australia doing their own thing. Everybody's disobedient, right? God came to Israel. They were disobedient. Okay? Now he comes to the church, and the church has separated itself from Israel and is doing its own thing. It's cut itself off from the roots. They're disobedient in that way. Why? So we can have mercy to all. It's very, very clear here. Why does this whole thing happen? So we can have mercy. We're all under disobedience. So nobody's better or worse than the other. No, nobody's messed up more or less. If anybody's most messed up, it's me. We're all created. All equal, and we're all messed up. And, who's, and even Paul said, there's nobody bigger sinner than he is. Okay? So, I mean, so that's, the, that's the right attitude when it comes to the, the Israel, to the church. You know, to be, to be set free from just feelings of, of resentment towards, towards your churches, wherever you, wherever you may have come from, or wherever you can continue to go to. You know, may Adonai set us free from, from the herd, because the one that lives inside of us is, is, is greater and seeks to set us free from these things, from this, from this pain. Yes. Even Joseph, who was just cast out into a ditch, left to go to another nation, right, and had to start his whole life in another nation, at the end of this thing, when there was reconciliation, the children of Israel were like, oh man, you're going to kill us now, aren't you? And even Joseph, after all he went through, said, all of this came from God. And I say that all of this to reserve life, to bring deliverance, exactly. All of this is God's plan. He knows what he's doing. It's, it's going right according to plan. And at the end of this thing, this church, wherever they consider itself, as it propagates around the world, is one day going to return back to its root. And there will be reconciliation. Okay? I'm going to close with something that I've spoken about a couple times before here, especially during the Shavuot teaching. And I think it really speaks about um, our, um, the, the, the role of Israel, of the church, the, the, the Jews, the Gentiles, and how it all kind of comes together in a really beautiful analogy from the book of Ruth. Okay. Um, many of us are familiar with the story of Ruth. Um, and, you know, in the story of Ruth, you have this. Um, girl Ruth who aligns herself with Naomi, right? And Ruth is a Moabitess. She's from the nations. And Ruth, and that's Ruth. And Naomi was a Jewish woman. So we see that connection between Ruth and Naomi, where she says, where you go, I will go, etc. But there's a lot of mystery behind um, the story. And we're going to go through this. We're all familiar with the book of Ruth, right? Mm -hmm. You're familiar with the book of Ruth? Um, so the book of Ruth starts with a couple of characters. The book of Ruth starts with Elimelech, is his name, and he is married to Naomi. Okay, that's how the, that's how the story starts. Elimelech, let's break it down into Hebrew. What does Elimelech mean? Eli means my God. And Melech means king. king. So Elimelech, translated, is my God, king. Okay? So Elimelech <coughs> refers 
God. Uh, Naomi in Hebrew is Naami. In the word Naami, there is the word Ami. Not Amy, Ami. And Ami means my people. So, what we have is just a guy named Elimelech married to a gal named Naomi. Break it down into Hebrew. You have God married to his people. Okay? So what happens in this story? Elimelech dies. Okay? So Elimelech dies. I almost feel like I should be crossing the name of this God. But Elimelech dies. Now God doesn't die. Okay? But what it does is it signifies a separation between the people of God, which is Israel, and God. Okay? They, they had children. Before they died, they had children. Their names were Mahlon and Helion. Okay? Mahlon means sick. And Helion means wasting away. Those are nice children's names, right? What are you going to name your kids? Sick and wasting away. Okay, but I want you to understand what's happening here. Both of these two children marry Gentile women. Okay? Women from the other nations. You have to realize that in that time, that was not a good thing. That was a sin. Because these were, these were, it's like being unequally yoked. Okay? These were people from the nations. They did not know God. They were not part of the, the kahal of God. Okay? The community, the congregation of God. They did their own thing. They had their own religion, whatever it is. Right? So they marry um, uh, Gentile women, signifying disobedience. Right? So, here, so here's this fateful picture that's happening here. You have God married to his people. Right? God departs. Okay? Their children are named sick and wasting away and married to people from the nations, girls from the nations. Okay? Just a, just a faithful picture of the children of Israel. Okay? Right? So, the, uh, the wives, they were named Ruth and Orpah. Okay? So, what happens? You have, oh, and by the way, Machlon and Philion, they also died. Right? So, it's just a, Naomi's in a bad state. Right? She's just in a really, really destitute state, right? And she represents Israel, God's people. She's without God. And her children have, are sinful and died. And she's left alone in the band. Such is the state of Israel. Of these Gentile women who, uh, who were married, um, Two things happen. One of them looks at Naomi and just says, all right, well, I guess I'm going back to my own thing. And turns away and goes back to her own land. Off she goes. The other one clung to Naomi. It says Ruth clung to Naomi. So you have two types of people from the nations. You have one who turned her, completely turned her back on destitute Naomi, who represents Israel. And you have one who wasn't going anywhere, no matter what. In fact, Naomi said, no, you just go back to your people. And she said, I ain't going back. I'm with you. 
And then she said another time, no, 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 you don't understand. I am a destitute woman. My husband is dead. My children are dead. I got nothing to give you. Go. Leave. It's okay. Go back to your gods. Go back. Do what you want. And we said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with you. And then a third time, Naomi said, you don't understand. I am a waste, wasted, used up, no future ahead of me woman. Why would you want to hang out with me? Go. Just go. Go. It's okay. Shoo, shoo, shoo. And then she said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. And I will be buried there. And may God deal with me severely if anything but death will separate us. So I ain't going anywhere. And the only thing that's going to keep me away from you is death. Either you or me. And anything but that, may God deal with me severely. Anything but that separates. So this destitute Israel finally says, okay, to this one woman from the nations. I believe in these days we are seeing fruits raised up in the church. In these last days, we are seeing fruits raised up in the church. Continuing on with the story. In comes the kinsman redeemer into the story. Ruth 2.1 From the family of Elimelech Okay? The kinsman redeemer from the family of Elimelech. Hello, son of God. Hello, Redeemer, Yeshua, enters into a relationship with Ruth, this one from the nations who clung to Israel in her most broken of states, enters into a relationship with the Redeemer. And that is the relationship right now between Messiah, the Redeemer, and the church. What's that? Baruch Hashem. Yep. Boaz. So then what happens in the story? Boaz lets her, lets Ruth, glean from his field. Do we know this? We know the story? Familiar with this? So this is uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. So she, Ruth, this Gentile, is now in the field of Boaz, who represents the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. And she's in the field, and she's picking up barley, which represents blessing, from his field. What does she do with this barley that she picked up? She brings it back to Naomi. Okay? So she's gleaning from the field of the Redeemer. And she's not just taking it for herself, like, look at all this that I got. She's taking this from the field of the Redeemer, Boaz, who represents the Messiah, and handing it back to this one broken Israel. Right? And say, look at this blessing. And she's handing the blessing back to Israel. Okay? So that's what's happening here. Ruth eventually tells Naomi about Boaz. Because she's like, where'd you get this from? 
And she's like, I gotta find this guy Boaz. And then Naomi goes, He's our he's from my family. <laughs> he's our kinsman redeemer. Right? And then she, Naomi, starts telling her other friends about, about Boaz. It's like we have a redeemer. Right? And it all came from this one Ruth who refused to let go of this one broken vessel, this one broken woman who represents destitute, destitute Israel, brought the blessings of the Redeemer to her. And through that, she recognized that there is a kinsman Redeemer. Okay? So this, I believe, is a picture of Israel, the church, and you. Okay? Ultimately, that is um, the picture. Does that make sense? Naomi was restored after that event. After all this blessing was given to her, these two had a union together, had a child, and the child was given to Naomi. So Naomi can raise this child as her own. Exactly the same paradigm we see in Isaiah when the nations bring the children to Israel. Exactly what we see with the children of Joseph who were brought to Jacob. And Jacob said, who are these children? They are now mine. Again, we see the, the, the progeny, progeny? progeny of Ruth, this one woman from the nations who clung to the Jewish people. Her relationship with the Messiah, with the Redeemer... Their progeny, their child, was brought to Naomi. And Naomi's the one who nursed this child. That is a picture of what is happening and what Adonai is doing in these days with Israel and the church. The church is going to... Yes, yes. Yes, the church is going to come into Israel with and bring this blessing who is the Messiah, the, 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 the offspring of the blessing that we have with the Messiah is going to be brought to Israel, and Israel will nurse this thing. Okay? And the, the actually, if we go back out of the analogy into the reality, the offspring of Boaz and Ruth wound up being Obed, I think his name was, and eventually King David, Jesse and then King David. So out of this marriage actually came the Messiah. And as the church goes and propagates around the world and causes nations to, to accept the Messiah, but not understanding exactly who they are, they have an identity crisis. That, that wall of an identity crisis is, is coming down in this time. And, and the church will take its place in Israel, and Israel will, and God will fulfill its promise to the one Abraham. Because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable.